I hate people that say have a short memory, don't think about your failures, false. Absolutely not. People that say they have no regrets in life and they're not self-aware. You should have regrets. You should look back at things and cringe. If you're self-aware enough to objectively evaluate your past performances in such a manner that you're like, I never want to do that again. That's a motivator. You can be motivated by fear of failure as long as it's in a healthy balance and you're not broaching that negative self-talk where you're constantly keeping yourself down, right? That's not healthy either, but get the lesson from it. It's time to do other stuff. You got to keep moving forward. Is that much of a, is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 49 features Air Force Pararescueman Senior Master Sergeant Aaron Love, one of my oldest friends and my first mentor in the military. He's one of the co-hosts of the Ones Ready podcast and one of the realest dudes I know. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. I have with me Aaron Love, uh, who I'll let you introduce yourself, but just to give, so I can give everybody else a bit of a primer, my first real true mentor in, in the Air Force, um, went through went through INDOC together. And uh, so I'm, I'm super stoked to have you. Um, uh, super, super excited to see what what you and the other boys are doing over at One's Ready, and, and obviously been keeping my eye on that for for a while, and uh, not not a comp for for what I'm trying to do with Veteran Made, even though we're in different different lanes and different kind of verticals within the space. But would love it if you could just give give the listeners a primer, a little bit on on who you are, and brief overview of your career, and, and then we can kind of jump right into the, the content creation game. Yeah, absolutely, man. I I just want to say thanks. Like you you've said that before. You know, we're, our episode that we had you on. It's you know, spoiler alert. I don't know how soon this is going to drop, but it's going to drop next week. So, uh, you know, I'm excited for people to hear about you and kind of do it in return. And I'm glad that I got the opportunity to come on here with you as well. And you were nice enough to say that I was one of your mentors and I've helped you. I, I cringe at that inside because I know all of the bad parts about myself and, you know, the imposter syndrome creeps up in the background. So thanks therapy. I've been trying to be better. So I just want to say thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm not going to qualify it with some self-deprecating funny comment this time. I'm just going to say thanks and move on. So yeah, I'm just modeling good behavior for everybody. I'm trying. There. I'm trying, man. You know, you got to try every day. So, uh, yeah, I grew up in grew up in Ohio. We share that thing. You know, you and I grew up growing up in Ohio. And then, you know, to even get closer, you know, I went to Ohio State for about a year before I flunked out because I was not going to class. I was on a water polo team. Well, really, it was a drinking team that had a water polo habit. And we would kind of use water polo as the excuse to get together and, you know, find out which bar we were going to next. Always legally, of course, never under the age of 21 on the banks of the Olentangy River. So, uh, you know, spent a, a couple of years kicking around, you know, got to be about 21. And then September 11, 2001 happened. And my my dad and my grandfathers were both in the military. Um, you know, I had a, a large military presence. My dad was a fireman. Like I grew up in the firehouse. My dad had a very short stint in the army. And then I grew up in the firehouse. So, you know, service. And putting yourself second to some sort of righteous pursuit has always been something that was ingrained in the family. So when September 11th happened, we all knew what was going on. My brothers and I, so spoiler alert, I have, I have three little brothers. I'm the oldest of six. I have three little brothers. All three of those are in the, in the Army, and they're all approaching the 20-year mark. So I've got two aviator little brother warrant officers and one E8 that is uh, getting ready to retire as well. So really my, those words kind of rang in my head. And, you know, my dad always said, Hey, you're not going to know it, but this country is owed 
something from each generation. We don't know what that's going to be for him. It was, you know, being a civil servant and being a fireman and being a paramedic for his entire life. For my mom, it was staying at home and raising six kids, which was a job in and of itself, especially considering the proclivities of us love boys. Uh, we're, we're locally famous for being hellraisers, And luckily we've all grown out of that to a point, but I just knew that that was it. So uh, I want to say I was in the debt program two weeks after that. I shipped out for basic training on January 2002. I wanted to be a PJ right away. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. So a pararescueman, for those that don't know, we are the only DOD asset specifically trained and equipped to do personnel recovery and sensitive item equipment recovery in every single environment across the globe. So every service is supposed to be able to recover their own folks, right? Like the Army has people that go out, you know, special forces. That's a part of their the nine tenants of soft, like the things that you're supposed to do, like direct action, irregular warfare, unconventional warfare, some of these things that are all things that we do, right? As a subset of direct action, you're supposed to be able to recover service members. And everybody does that to a, to a degree, but pararescue and combat rescue officer in the Air Force are the only 24 seven, no kidding force that trains with that specific mission. So anytime, any place, anywhere, by any means of infiltration, I thought the job was really, really cool. I thought it aligned with myself and I thought I was going to make it and I was dead wrong. I went to NDOT and, you know, I uh, actually quit my second team about week eight. I was just demoralized. I was emotionally immature. I was not ready to take on that challenge. And the air force was lucky enough and nice enough to tell me, Hey, just do another job for about four years and you'll be able to put your packet in and come on back. And that's what I did. I worked out in DC as an aerospace physiologist, which sounds exciting, but really what it is, is I ran the altitude chamber and I flew with other special forces teams to make sure that their oxygen equipment worked properly. And then I had the chance to go back through Indoc, and then I made it that time and fast forward, you know, 15, 18 years now, 18 years now, you know, here I am at almost 22 years in service and making a, getting ready to make my move onto the next thing. And you and I met during that second Indoc time. So you and I spent a good amount of time together and, you know, obviously we, we got to know each other and have maintained a good relationship for more than decades now, you know, a decade and a half, which is a crazy thing to think about mainly because I'm old, you know, you're still young and looking good. Um, and, and here we are at the end of, uh, at the end of 15 years and, and that's about it in a, in a nutshell. So mo moving on, I'm probably within about a year. So, uh, of, of hitting that button and moving on and doing something else, but that's about it. Yeah. So I obviously quite a bit there and I don't want to spend too much time uh, on the service element, not because it's not important, but, but more, more so because we focus on entrepreneurship, um, and content creation and, and creative pursuits on veteran made. But one thing that, that we do talk about that, that is a through line. Um, and you know, I started this podcast thinking about what's the transition out of the military like, and one thing I've learned as I've talked, you know, this is going to be episode, I think 50 ish. So through, you know, 40, 40 something plus episodes, I've learned that there are many transitions along the way. Um, and a lot of times it's transitions into the military and then transitions within the military that often prepare us for the work that we go to do after we transition out of the military. Um, so I'm curious, what, what was it like for you um, to want to do a job to then not perform at the level that you wanted to, and then to go spend time around operators that were, that were pretty close and, and some of which, which actually were that job that you wanted to do? Was that something that was always motivational for you? Or was there a period of time where it was difficult for you to, to, to be in that environment, but not in the capacity that you wanted to be in? What a fantastic question. And, and it was both. 
initially the first couple times like they called it hams tech back in the day so high altitude airdrop mission support so i got to spend time around all four services special operations teams so i spent a lot of times with navy eod and navy seals and army tier one units that were you know i, I just so happened to hit the lottery and i got trained on this one system I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it. I think I'm probably allowed to say the name of the system now, but it's just not important, right? It was an O2 sure. system that they were testing out. And I just so happened to get qualified on that one system, which put me in a very small pool of people that could actually support, right? So every time that these guys came up, like I got to do awesome stuff. I got to go to Key West one time for like two months, like, and it helped them like jump and go through high altitude stuff. But I'll tell you, the ego was loud. That, that feeling of failure was loud in the back of my head and the shame attached with it where guys would be like, Hey, you know, boy, you're in, you're in really good shape. What are you doing? Doing this, you know, pretty normal air force job and the shame of having to look at a, a special operator who'd made it through a pipeline and go, yeah, man, here's the deal. Uh, I quit. Uh, you know, it, it was a long, I, you know, I spent a two full teams at selection. So in doc at the time was eight weeks long. You know, I went all the way through week six or something and got a pretty serious ankle injury and got set back and then had to watch that team graduate. And then I got all the way through, you know, we were in week eight, like we were getting ready to take final evaluations. And I just had a single bad day, you know, in the pool and uh, that was it. And uh, I, I had to go do something else. So, you know, dealing with that shame, dealing with that failure. And then some sometimes people forget. And, you know, we'll talk about it when we start talking about the project later and some of the insight that we hope to bring to folks. But I had to really ask myself, do you want to be a PJ or did you just fail at Indoc? And do you want to avenge that failure? And I'll tell you that my life was completely different in 2005 when my packet got um, my packet got approved is I had a wife, I had a daughter that was, you know, my daughter that is now graduating high school. My daughter was in the womb. I was established in my job. I had, uh, you know, I, I think I had just made staff or something, just made E5. I was already a seven level. I got seven level just immediately right away. And for the non air force folks, it just, that was, you know, the training, it goes one, three, five, seven level. So I'd, I'd finally gotten like essentially fully qualified. I'd gotten the opportunity to go to jump school. But being around those teams, it brought up a lot of feelings, but it brought up more introspection because a valuable question was, are you just mad because you failed the first time and you want to you want to go slay that dragon? Or do you really want to do this pararescue thing? Do you really want to put your young family now into this situation? And this was 2005, 2006. Like we're talking heavy GWAT, Iraq, Afghanistan, going hard in the paint, Africa, going hard in the paint. Like this was not, you know, 1999 where you were going on, you know, training trips and stuff and not to, not to denigrate those guys or say that stuff wasn't going on, but it was just a different world in GWAT back then. So, you know, that was, that was tough and sure at sometimes it was motivating, you know, sure at sometimes, but I always had people checking that ego. Um, and I, I remember distinctly the very last hams trip that I went on, I was supposed to go to Indoc in September or October. This trip happened in July and the team leader, the team sergeant, on this trip was like, Hey, we've got a trip coming up in November. I'd like you to come back. We were in Yuma. He was like, I'd like you to come back out to Yuma and support this trip. And I was like, Hey, Sarge, well, I'd love to, but I'm going to be at Indoc. Um, so, you know, I'm going to try to go do this PJ thing again. And he looked right in my face and he was like, Oh, that's cool. Well, you quit last time. You're going to fail this time regardless. So I'm just going to put you on the trip anyway. And then this MF legitimately like went through the administrative process when we got home to align my name to that trip to go support that trip. And I'll tell you, like, he wasn't wrong. What he said was not incorrect. It made me mad. It made me feel some type of way, but that was a me problem. 
Um, so like those things can be motivational too. That's a highly negative story to tell. And I was petty enough, by the way, when I graduated, I was petty enough to send him a picture of me in my beret, uh, to just say, Hey, you were wrong on this one. Um, not helpful, not a mature thing to do, but sometimes we do stuff like that. Yeah. You know what? Uh, petty, um, petty, petty's not, petty's not always bad. Um, it's, uh, you know, you got to motivate yourself the way that you need to be motivated. And, um, and, and sometimes, uh, people need to be able to take a joke and, and some people need to be able to, uh, to follow, follow through, through on, on a joke that, sure. that, you know, probably wasn't even really a joke. Um, what did you, what did you learn about yourself during that phase, uh, those phases, um, through answering that question, right. Answering those questions, um, to, to make it through induct and then to make it through the pipeline and, and get on the teams. Was there anything singular or a couple of things that you learned about yourself as a, as a person that, that you felt strongly about coming out? Cause graduating a pipeline like that, I would imagine is, you know, you have those feelings of, of pride and accomplishment of all the schools that you went to and all the tests that you passed and all those things. And, and those things are obviously important because you have to be able to do those things to do the job. But at a personal level, what did you learn about yourself um, that you felt was a good foundation for you to take into your career? Yeah. Number one, ego is the enemy. You know, I had to, the other thing that was happening kind of in the background here is that, you know, I was, I was at Indoc with a whole bunch of people, you know, like yourself that, you know, they were just starting off this PJ journey for the last, you know, for the four or five years previous to that, I watched my friends go deploy. I watched my friends get into combat. Like we, I still had close ties with a lot of those folks. When I went to jump school, I distinctly remember his name is Rob McGee. He's one of my mentors. He's one of the best folks on the face of the planet. I, Rob was working at Moody Air Force Base, Georgia. He had just won like ACC Pararescuement of the Year. He found like I, I hit him up. I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm down at Fort Benning. I'm at jump school right now as a phys tech. He invited me over for a poker game. And I sat there with like half his team and played poker. And at the end of the night, he looked at me and goes, hey, you ready to stop bullshitting? This is do, do you feel like you belong here? Do you feel like you belong where you are? Are you ready to stop bullshitting? And that sucked to hear because I was, I was friends with Rob, you know? So it was a little bit different for me going through the pipeline as I always knew what was coming. I knew exactly what it was that we were going to be asked to do. But the lessons that I learned about myself is, you know, consistency beats motivation every single time for me specifically. You might not feel like training today. I don't care. You got to get it. Nobody cares. Get up and work hard, work hard, be nice to people and kill your ego. Because for me, I have to, I'm right on that borderline of obsessive, compulsive, manic, depressive, all these things that we are. When you walk that line of the, the type of people that we recruit to special operations, resistant to authority, somewhat, you know, like, you know, somewhat mischievous, somewhat impulsive, like these things are, are things that you need to be, you know, in my, in my opinion, a good operator. We have nine attributes that we look for, but you know, those things about myself is like, I need to, I, I need to be consistent. Consistency equals discipline. Discipline equals freedom. When, when my world is in order and I'm doing everything as I'm supposed to do, I found that I was way more successful because I didn't want to fail again. So as I was training for that pipeline, even going through the pipeline, I didn't go through the pipeline completely cleanly. There were things that I failed. I was definitely close. Like I almost failed dive school. I was down to one shot at one man comp down at dive school. It's a very hard event. Almost failed that bad boy. There were definitely times in the pipeline where, you know, I was, I was not good. At, at a lot of stuff, like even on our team plaque, our team plaque that sits at Kirtland Air Force Base to this day, uh, the team made fun of me immensely and rightly so. I had never shot a pistol before I got in the Air Force. I had never climbed a rope. I had never gone snowshoeing. Like I, I had barely been out, out of Ohio. I took one trip with my grandparents when I was 15 across the nation. That's as much of the world as I'd seen. That was it. So, uh, you know, watching my teammates would watch me struggle with basic stuff, shooting, 
jumping, climbing, everything that we were supposed to do, like our basic food groups, like it took work for me. Like I was to quote Will Smith, I was not particularly talented at anything, right? Talent you have naturally skill you get from hours and hours and hours of beating on your craft. And I was not talented at anything. So in order for me to even be successful, like I had to realize number one, I sucked. Number two, I needed to get better. And then number three, well, you can't just be sorry for yourself. You got to actually like make a plan. Um, and as long as you can kill your ego and say, all right, this is how we're going to attack this problem. That's what helped me out. And I think it really did serve me well later in life, because like I said, like it took me long. Your brain doesn't mature until you're 25 anyway, but it took me a little bit of extra time because I was still doing dumb stuff until I got into my thirties to where I had, like, you know, just like how many times you got to learn this lesson, old man, like figure it out. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I, yeah. The, I mean, the consistency, I mean, there's two things I thought of one. Uh, I think this was, I, I, cause I got, I got, um, set back once as well. So I, I think this night happened on together. I think you were there. The, the commandant at the time that we were doing the circle pushups where you're on your, on, you know, you had the, your, your, your boots on the, on the guy's shoulders and, and we had to do one push up, right. Everybody together. Um, and I remember that the commandant at the time was running the smoke session and was like, listen, I don't, when you get to the teams, and this is a weird thing for me to say, cause I didn't make it there, but I, I do think it, it, it applies to, to content creation, entrepreneurship and all that stuff. Like he was like, when I don't want people who just skate through the pipeline, if you skate through this pipeline, that means when you get out into a combat search and rescue situation and you've never experienced what you think might be failure or getting close to failure or difficulty or something that like you don't know what to do and you're on the verge of panic and you've never experienced that because everything was easy for you, you're going to be a liability on the X. You're not going to be an asset. And so when I hear you talk about that, I hear you say that I, I struggled and my, my teammates made fun of me. It's like fucking great. Like that's the, that's the, that's the type of person period, regardless of industry that I want on my team is somebody who has struggled through things and gotten better because they struggled. Yeah. And it, it's failure, but not quitting, right? Fall down right. seven times, get up eight. It's okay to, it's okay to be hurt. It's okay to throw up. It's okay to crumple. It's just not okay to stop. And, right. and whatever that looks like for you, like it's, it's okay to, to do something and fail, just fail quickly, fail, get it out of your system. Take the I hate people that say have a short memory. Don't think about your failures. False. Absolutely not. People that say they have no regrets in life are stupid and they're not self-aware. Like, I'll just say that straight up. You should have regrets. You should look back at things and cringe. You should look back because if you're, if you're self-aware enough to objectively evaluate your past performances in such a manner that you're like, I never want to do that again. That's a motivator. You can be motivated by fear of failure. That's totally fine. Right. As long as it's in a healthy balance and you're not broke, you know, kind of like, broaching that negative self-talk where you're constantly keeping yourself down, right? Like that's not healthy either, but you should have times where you look back and you're like, that was a failure. You know, I've, I've had, a million, I've failed today already. You know, I, I'm positive of it, you know, and I'm, I'm going to think about it and I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen again. And that's how we do it. But fail fast, get the lesson from it. Thank the universe or whoever it is that you're going to thank for it, for your lesson and move on. It's time to do other stuff. You got to keep moving forward. Yeah. And that's that consistency piece, right? Like, the, the, the thing that the reason why consistency, I, so growing up playing, you know, the, the typical three sport athlete, right? Like you know, uh, football, basketball, and track. Right. And there's a very growing up in the, in the nineties and early aughts, right. There's that like very Olympic style weightlifting, you know, one rep max bench press, one rep max uh, squat, you know, clean and jerk and all that stuff. Not that that stuff's not important. Not that that stuff's not fun, but it creates a mindset of perfection that's required. You're working towards a goal. If you're not the one rep max, you're not going to, 
you know, if you don't beat this guy in the one rep max, you're not going to start over him as middle linebacker, regardless of if you've actually played the position better and you're faster and quicker and more agile. It's like this kind of weird hierarchical system that got created. One thing that, that I learned going through the military, both on the special operations training front, as well as the conventional side as, as a bomb loader, where we had to go through quals is like consistency is important because consistency is what creates um, a pattern and it's what creates the discipline that you were talking about. It doesn't have to be perfect every time. You just have to do it every time. It will eventually be as perfect as it needs to be, but it doesn't have to be perfect every time. And so, you know, I took a picture, I took a selfie and said it to you right before this, I was outside working out. The reason I went outside and worked out was because I didn't want to. And I knew the workout wasn't going to be the best workout ever. I just knew it was going to be the best workout that it could be today because I wasn't going to do it after this podcast. I was yeah. like, I want to have that done before this podcast, regardless of how good it is. And it ended up being a pretty good workout. You know, it wasn't bad, uh, but it wasn't great. But that's okay. Tomorrow, Who cares? We'll do another Guess one. what? Because you're, you're now more fit than everybody that sat on the couch or everybody that made a single excuse about not working out. A note on consistency and discipline, too. This is an important leadership principle. Uh, consistency leads to predictability, and it's perfect. You said it, you said it perfectly. You like it, le it leads to a predictable pattern. Leadership, that is an important thing that I learned through the pipeline and, and through my time in the military so far is that the best leaders are consistent leaders and I can predict what they do. If they establish clear guidance and intent and tell you their left and right limits and they're predictable and they're consistent, then you know what's going to happen. And I would tell this to the, to the people, you know, I spent a lot of time as a flight chief, a lot of time as an operations superintendent. I would tell the people that were my subordinates or the people that I worked with, I'd say, Hey, here's my left and rights. Now, what do you think is going to happen if you go outside of these left and rights? They're like, well, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. I'm like, yep, yeah, perfectly. You, you stated it perfectly. The most frustrating leaders that I've worked for is when you're like, you know, in good and bad, you know, I had a, I had a terrible commander that I worked for at one point in my career where, you know, things that you thought would just blow off. He would just be like, oh, you know, you, you would think this is a nothing burger and you'd walk into his office and he would rip you for it. You'd be like, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. And then even on the other side, you bring to him what you think is a serious problem. And he was inconsistent and he would just be like, you, you bring him this huge problem that you thought, and he'd be like, nah, nah, you got it. You, you know, just go do whatever. That's highly unnerving. That is not a good way to be a leader, right? Like consistency, having that discipline, it grants freedom. Like that's a Jocko quote, but it's 100% true, not only in your personal endeavors, but you know, as you mature into a leader and as you mature into other areas of life, being consistent and being predictable is a good thing in almost every regard. Yeah, because it, it actually creates that sandbox for you to play in and operate in so that if you need to deviate from it, you're deviating from a strong foundation. You're not just constantly deviating, right? Like people think that a volatile leader is somebody who's always at a 10. And, and it's actually what you described, which is it's just somebody who's all over the place and you never actually know how they're going to respond right. or react in any given situation. And therefore, there's neither of you are operating from from a strong foundation, you're operating from, from different foundations. And if we're talking about a team of any certain size, that means you've got anywhere from, you know, five to 35 people operating from different foundations and different, um, you know, uh, perspectives and, and different, well, different perspectives are, are valuable, but different um, expectations, right? And that that's just that. So, uh, so okay, getting into ones ready, what, what was the, I want to hear the genesis of the idea was it your idea? When did when did content creation? Because I've always known you to be a very creative person, right? Like we share a lot of similar tastes in music, right? Like we used to be similar styles of, of, of humor, and like you were never, you know, I met you as a staff sergeant, you know, in Indoc, and I was like, oh man, you know, staff sergeant, you know, who's who's been through this before? Like I don't know what to expect. But my only experience with that was was MTIs, right? Um, and so then I, I meet you, and it's like, well, hey, we're on a team together, and um, and 
you know, you, you had this kind of creative bent to you, right? Like you, music and comedy and all these different things. So you, in my experience, you've always had this side to you. Do you feel like you've always had that side to you? And then, and what was the evolution and genesis of, of the podcast? Yeah, I, I, no, I didn't, you know, to be quite honest with you. And I, I've found a way to tap into kind of that creative side. I think you're totally right. You're, man, you're very astute in the, in the way that you described it there is I think that there was that part of me and now I really enjoy it. Now it's challenging and I enjoy social media management. I enjoy the podcast and I enjoy all those other things, but I never felt like I was particularly talented in the creative realm beforehand, right? Like I, I always felt like, you know, in some regards, sure, like I'm pretty quick on my feet. I can have, you know, conversation and debate. I typically intake information pretty good. I have kind of like a near photographic memory. That doesn't mean I'm smarter. It just means I remember a lot of stuff. So, you know, it doesn't mean I understand concepts, but I can throw a bunch of words at you at once. So, you know, I, I never felt like I was particularly creative. I never played instruments. Um, fun, fun note, I was a theater kid. So I did, you know, act in musicals when I was in high school, which is a fun note about me that people, a lot of people don't know, but all my friends like find it hilarious. They're like, you know, you're such a dork, but you, you ended up doing something really cool. Um, so no, I, I didn't. And then back, so this, uh, about 2018, yeah, about mid 2018, um, Brian uh, Silva approached me about, you know, come you know, like, Hey, I got this, I've got this idea, you know, and he, he, uh, you know, to his credit, man, he, he was like, I got this idea, my, myself, uh, Jared Petrus, who's chief master sergeant, Jared Petrus and, uh, Trent Segmiller. So he wasn't brought in right away, but we were kind of like looking for a team and we were all on these different social media platforms, right? And we're all answering the same 30 questions every single time. What's the day to day? Like, how did you get through Indoc? How are they selecting people? What was the hardest part of the pipeline? Is it good for your family? What are the deployments? Like, how long am I going to be on team? Do you go down range and kick doors? And do you get how much combat do you see? Blah, 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 blah. And we were all doing it. You know, Jared was on Reddit and Trent was engaging in different forms. And so was Brian through how to be a PJ. And, you know, we just kind of got together and the conversation evolved to where like, it, it almost started like a joke. We're like, you know what we should do? We should just get a podcast, like all these questions that people ask us constantly all the time. We should just answer all those questions and then people will stop asking us. Um, and that was no kidding the genesis of it. And, you know, through its iterations and stuff, here we are, you know, four years, five years later, I think we're publishing episode, you know, 216, I think this this weekend. And, um, you know, on onto that, I think we just hit a million uh, downloads last week, um, which we didn't think we were going to get past episode one to be honest with you. We, we had no idea what to do it. We do everything ourselves. Um, but we thought it was valuable. We thought it was important. And then we found a community of folks that reflected, you know, what we thought, because, you know, going into it, there were some very real concerns, especially, you know, not about the legality of it, or, you know, us being active duty or, or whatever. It was more like, you know, I had friends that were in recruiting that were like, Hey, you're, you're doing a recruiting thing. You know, do you think that you're a good, do you think that you're a recruiter? Do you think that you can do your job better than me? And we really had to, through some contentious conversations, um, but some, but through some good learning conversations, yeah, I, I framed it like this. I'm like, you know, you're an awesome recruiter. You know everything about the Air Force, a sessions program. You know how to scout, recruit, develop. We have all these things here, but you don't know what a pool session's like. Like, I know what a pool session's like. I know what it feels like to jump out of the plane the first time at free fall school, having never, I barely rode on a plane before that. I think that, you know, that was probably, I don't know, under 50 the amount of plane flights I'd ever taken in my life, period. And I jumped out of a plane. Like, I know what that's like. I might not be a good recruiter, but that's why we've established a huge network of recruiters so that when we have these kind of questions, we're able to reach out and, and have those touch points. So to kind of like button it up, it started just really on a whim. And then what we wanted to do was we wanted to provide the most transparent, most accessible 
most relevant information we could to people getting in because we're facing a recruiting uh, recruitment and retention problem. And we have been since 2018 and, and further. And none of this is secret. Um, we had m- multiple times on the podcast, really good friend, really stand up guy, former combat controller. His name's Trey Free. Trey uh, works at the Air Force's tier one unit, which we don't talk about. You don't talk about Bruno a whole lot. But, you know, Trey likened it like in selection assessment and selection to the NFL combine. Everybody knows what you're going to do at the NFL Combine. You're going to have a 225-pound bench press. You're going to have a sit and reach. You're going to have a 40-yard dash. You're going to take the Wonderlick test. You're going to have a bunch of receiver drills, depending on what position. Everybody knows what this is. And you're supposed to prepare for it in order to throw your A game at whatever you're doing. And that's the mindset that we took on. We didn't know it. We didn't know how to put it in such eloquent words because Trey is a really smart dude. But that's what we wanted to do. We don't want, we're not given any inside information on the podcast. We're not giving you any G2. We're giving you all the information that you can so that when you show up, you are the best version of yourself. And hopefully you live up to the attributes that the instructors are looking for. It's definitely not. And, and by the way, attrition rates have not changed since we started the podcast. It hasn't changed since Indoc was turned into assessment selection. None of it, right? Like we, we like to think that we're getting some more people and some more focused candidates to get down there. But you know, we're not winning this game either. And we're trying to figure that out every day. So to button it all the, you know, to go all the way back to the initial question of, you know, um, did I think that I was a creative person and kind of how did it come about seeing those challenges and seeing those barriers now, it actually motivates me to get into that creative space and to, and to try to find more adept ways to explain things to people, to get them the information, to help them prepare because it's a big problem and I'm a problem solver. Like I am, I am drawn to a challenge. I think that's why I've, I've loved being a pararescue in my entire career is there's constantly new challenges. You can fail every single day and the stakes could not be higher. You know, it's, it's hyperbolic to say so, but the, the very motto of our career field is that others may live. And what that means is it does not matter if you call a pararescue team, we're going to go where you're going to come home, but it might kill us. And we we're totally down for that. Like we understand what the consequences of our actions are but we're going to do that because it's important and it's a righteous mission. So, you know, I saw a little bit of that reflected in the ones ready project. So, you know, immediately had a good team of dudes that I wanted to, wanted to work with number one. And then number two, there was a problem that I thought that we could help solve. And it's been really, really interesting to try to solve those problems and get in that creative space and step out of your comfort zones. And, you know, to go all the way back to the beginning, like, you know, failures every day, there's been a million failures that we've made with ones ready. I'd like to think we're getting better. I'd like to think we're eva- avoiding those failures and learning, especially me, because I'm, I'm always self-focused first, but yeah, it's been, it's been a journey for sure. And, and having that, that creative space or getting into the creative space has been a challenge all of its own. What, um, how did the, how did the, how did the formation of the team go initially? Right. So you, the, the you all had this idea, you had this thought you're operating in in, in similar but different spaces, answering the same questions, and you and you you know it's like, hey man, let's let's buy a bar, right? Like you, you put the team together and 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 you 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 started to create content. Um, how? What did you do? Who who took point on what? And and how did you start to navigate this this creative entrepreneurial pursuit while also being active duty? Yeah, we leaned heavily on Brian because he was already working through how to be a PJ, so he'd already you know he was. A little bit further down that road so we, we would do stuff and he's like hey do this don't do that hey do this don't do that um so a lot of credit you know to brian in the beginning for for helping us like catch up 
but really it was, it was all of us dividing the labor equally. You know, I, I found out that, you know, I was, I was a little bit better at, uh, you know, managing social media and I was a little bit better at, um, you know, engagement in certain aspects and, you know, peaches was better at this. We figured out when we were on the podcast, how to just how to conduct a podcast and how to have, cause it's not the same as having a conversation like long form conversation, you know, like this, even if we were together in the same room, it's a little bit different because you want to, you want to find things along the way. And unless you're, unless you're pretty polished as someone that provides interviews or someone that talks on these things for a while, it, it's hard to get to those good nuggets. Like obviously Joe Rogan is the number one, you know, the number one person that, that everybody emulates, but it's because he talks for six hours a day to 10 guests a week to put out long form content. And it's never boring. You know, it may be three hours long, but you're like, wow, how did we, how did we get to, to this part of the conversation? So in the beginning it was just, and it's going to sound cheesy, but it's your classic team formation, right? It's norming, storming, performing, all of those things. Like there's going to be times where you have an opinion that's different than the people that you're working with or the people that are on your team. There's going to be times where somebody will hit you up and I don't know how many times somebody's texted me be like, Hey man, that was a misstep. You should not have handled like, like that. You should not, you know, that's wasn't the best way to phrase that or whatever. And again, it's back to the ego. It's killing your ego and understanding, Hey, we all have a single goal. And if that goal is righteous, then I have to be able to take feedback. I have to be able to change what I'm doing and go, okay, that you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to be better. I'm not going to make this mistake again. And we're going to continue forward. But in the beginning days we were, you know, and I hate this term cause it's overused, but we were making the airplane in flight. You know, we were, we were no kidding, figuring it out as we go. Like, how do, how do you edit a podcast? Like, how do you even make a podcast happen? We had no clue. And we were, and definitely none of us existed in that space, you know, and by the way, we still had day jobs. So, right. you know, we're, we're getting up at 6am on Saturdays to try to record content. And in the early days, you know, there were definitely times where we're like, we got to release tomorrow, guys. Like we got to come up with an idea. We got to, you know, sorry, you know, and by the way, we've never been in the same place. You know, it's four, it's four time zones. So sometimes, you know, it's me getting up at four in the morning because the guys are like, listen, I can only record at seven tomorrow and I'm on the East coast time. I'm like, okay, well looks like I'm up at four in the morning then, you know? And then sometimes yeah. for them, it's like, you know, Hey, there's, there's only one time that I can do this and I got to stay up until midnight. Because, you know, I, I, I couldn't get on until nine o'clock at night because that was, it's just what it was. Um, but man, like those, those challenges there, I, I think it's because, you know, number one, we're, we're very similar. You know, all of us are very similar. We lived our life in GWAT. We lived our life pressing forward and just like, hey, sometimes you take an L, but you got to go out the next day and go to work. You know, some, you, the alert doesn't stop. The war doesn't stop. And we just kind of like really focused on that. And that was, you know, one of the things that we, we've said since the beginning is, you know, we're just, we're going to put our head down and we're going to work. Every podcast is not going to hit. Every piece of content is not going to hit. You're, I don't know how many episodes we, I, I bring this one up a lot. Jason Ellis was the biggest single serious XM host. I want to say that wasn't named like Howard Stern. I want to say he was the biggest, whatever. When he went yep. through his split with Sirius, somehow through a cold call, we had Jason on our podcast and I was like, this is it. This is the podcast that gets a million views. This is going to break YouTube. People are not, and it was a great conversation. Jason is an amazing guy. Like he's doing such good things and he brought such a unique perspective. And I was like, this is going to bang. It's to, to this day, I bet it doesn't have 5,000 views. That was three years ago. And yeah. that was so demoralizing. That was so demoralizing to look at and be like, I thought this was it. And then to have, 
you know, we'll have other ones where we bring somebody else on. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that was good. You look at the analytics and you're like, are you kidding me? This thing's going through. What did we do? What did we do differently? How is this? How yeah. did we SEO tag it a different way? Did we drop it at a different time? Do we have a different conversation? What are, what value are we providing here that we didn't provide on this other one? Because you want to you want to put out the best possible product you can, and you're trying to understand. And sometimes it's the chicken bones, man. Sometimes it's just it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's back back to what we were talking about earlier. It's consistency, right? Like it's um, you know, it's like uh, Stephen Pressfield quotes the Bhagavad Gita in, in the war of art or, or turning pro one of those where it's like, you're, you're, you're entitled to your labor, not the fruits of it. You are not entitled to the fruits of your labor. You're only entitled to your labor, put in the work, be consistent. The results come or they don't. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if your goal is to create content and if your goal is to be consistent and if your goal is to just do the work, that's, that's, that's all that, that's all you should ever be entitled to is the opportunity sure. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And it's well said. One of the things that I, one of the things I think that's the most difficult about podcasting is there's, there's a, there's, there's a lane, right? Like you can't get too far outside. You can't be outside the, the norm of, of how a podcast works, but you also can't be just like every other podcast if you want to be successful. And I think what, and I don't, I don't listen to every episode because not all of your content is, is relevant to me because I'm not. Sure. preparing to go through ANS, right? So, yeah. but first of all, I how love dare you? First of all, how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> but I, but I, you know, I, I've, I've listened over the last few years to, to, to some of the episodes and I love the ones that you're doing, obviously kind of outside that space and talking a little bit more about transition and some of those things. But what, what I love about the way that the, 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 the three of you approach it now is that you have a voice, you have, you've developed a, a way of, of podcasting that feels like a podcast, but feels unique to you and relevant to, to your audience. How intentional was that? Or how much of it was just like consistent work? Well, it's a little bit of both, right? Like having an organic conversation is hard, especially having it on a podcast is even harder. Like you've gone to a party and met somebody new and, and just been like, Oh, Hey, how are you? You have small talk and you walk away from that dude or that girl. And you're like, boy, that was awkward. Like for whatever reason, we just didn't click and you know, whatever. Well now try doing that. Somebody that you've never met and you know, with the intent to publicize it to hundreds of, you know, thousands of people or millions of, of eyes, right? Like there, there's a, there's an additional hardship to that. We have always made our home that we want to be transparent. Like we call it sitting in the team room. We want to be transparent. We want to be open and honest. We want to give you most importantly access if you DM us, we're going to respond back. Like, I don't know how many messages I've got like, Oh, you're never going to see this but here's my question. And then we respond back in like 20 minutes and they're like, holy crap, I can't believe you responded back. Like that happened today. They were like, holy cow, I, I didn't think you were going to respond, let alone in the half an hour. I'm like, well, yeah, that's the point. We're, we're here. We're accessible. Like we're just normal people like memento mori. We're only, we're only people like we're here to help you out. Like, of course we're going to be responsive. Of course you like, you're the whole reason we exist. Right. But we have, we really honed that from the beginning. And then so having that shared goal of, I want to be open and honest about successes and failures. I want to be open and honest about the good parts of the job and the terrible parts of the job, because there are a bunch of terrible parts of the job. There are a bunch of things about yourself that you're going to have to give up in order to do these jobs. And we always wanted to be honest about that as much as we possibly could. You know, we never kind of cross that line. We won't, we won't talk crap about anybody. We won't air anybody out by their real name. We won't say bad things about stuff we're not, you know, we're not supposed to address. We stay away, especially on ones ready. We stay away from all the, 
all the hyperbolic dramatic stuff. Like there's a million things I could, I can think about that have happened. They're just not valuable. They're, they're not valuable to what we're talking about. Right. But as you get better at your, at your craft, right. As you, as you start to develop that skill, like, cause we're not talented at it. We already, we already covered that. Like none of us had any idea what we're doing and we didn't have any talent. So as you get a little bit more skilled, you're able, they, they kind of play off each other. You know, the, the intentionality, if that's a word, the intentionality of being transparent and open and honest and making you feel like you're in a team room. And sometimes you'll DM, if you DM me a stupid question, I will tell you right away. Like my, my number one classic response, like people will DM us questions. I'll be like, you have obviously not gone through our YouTube channel. I was like, there's a search function on YouTube and on Apple and on Google, where if you Google this question, our video would come up. We spent hours talking about this. You know, people will be like, what's the day to day like of a special reconnaissance man? I'll be like, we have five episodes on special reconnaissance and two IG lives on frequently asked questions where we've already answered this question, right? Go, go fix yourself. Right. Um, and sometimes that comes off as me being a dickhead and you know, granted it's just who I am as a person. I accept it. Um, but yeah, but being able to hone that skill, it's like a synergistic effect of one plus one equals three, right? When you have the intention to be open and honest and forthcoming and as transparent as you possibly can, and then you're getting better at having valuable conversations, it just makes you all the better. And it you you want to be even more open and honest and transparent. You want to, you know, we found um, now, if you remember earlier, we were talking about, you know, sometimes we were getting down to the wire and we didn't have any content. We have, we have found that we love producing the best possible product that we can talking to each other, talking to our, you know, the people that follow us or the people that have questions or helping even recruiters sometimes have questions or like, Hey, how do I kind of communicate this? What's the verbiage? Man, we love it. Like we have so much content right now that we haven't released. I'm talking, you know, months, almost years of talks that we've had because you know, some that the group chat will blow up and be like, you know, today peaches hits the group chat and he's like, Hey, I got like two hours tomorrow. You guys want to hop on an IG live? I mean, it's my wife's birthday, so I can't. I was like, you know, hey, I cannot because I'll get in trouble with Mama Bear. Like, but you guys should definitely do that. You should definitely, you know, throw it in the Discord, hop on and do a live. And and having those valuable conversations makes you want to be open, honest, transparent and help. And then the, the feedback that you get when you do provide that help, and it really does help, you know, pe people will hit us up and they'll be like, hey, I, I didn't even know about Aspect War until I heard your podcast. You guys helped me. I'm, I got selected today. You have no idea how humbling, how amazing, how, you know, personally fulfilling it is. And not from an ego perspective, but like, holy crap, we had that somebody, somebody will text us or, you know, DMS and say, you're the reason why I succeeded. First of all, no, we're not. You did the work, you know, you, again, you deserve to, to be happy, but you know, we get pictures of, of dudes in their berets and that's dumbfounding to me dumbfounding that we would have that impact or that we would have that. So they play off one another. And when you have a clear goal like that, and then you have, you know, the fruits of those labor where every once in a while you get that little nugget of, of yeah. motivation. It, it's, it, it's pretty humbling. I think that's the only word that I could use to describe it. So it, it's just been one of those things where, you know, having the intention and the attention was righteous. Like we still haven't gotten to a day where we're like, Oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so open and honest. Maybe we shouldn't, be so engaging. Maybe we shouldn't offer ourselves up in our free time, even though we don't have a lot of it. Like Jared was answering questions today from the airport as he was, you know, flying home from TDY because he had five minutes. So he just hops on. Like he does yeah. that all the time. Trent the same way. Yeah. I mean, tr transparency wins, right? Especially, you know, in 
in in the military community and the veteran community and i think especially in the soft community like there's there can be a um uh you know a brand of aloofness or a brand of like cool guy or, or whatever and, and and all three of you are the the exact opposite of that obviously i've known you for a couple decades now so i have personal experience with that but now having met met the other two like that that and then consuming the content like that transparency always wins because um, people want to experience an authentic version of of somebody, whether that's somebody personal, like a one to one, a relationship with another human, or like somebody as an archetype, right? Like somebody as aspect war. Like, okay, cool. I know there's dudes like you in the pipeline. I know there's dudes like you on the team, on the teams. I know that there's dudes like you that are going to be the the cadre. Like, I know that I can go experience something like this, not the thing that I see on television or the thing that's been told to me from you know countless books about shooting Bin Laden in the face. Like, cool. Like yeah. this is a this is a this is a real human thing. These are real human people doing real human things, hard human things, but like you know, kind of real and authentic. What um, what's been the evolution of the content, right? So you, you haven't gotten away from your mission, which is to help um, recruits prepare for for um, ANS and then and then for the pipeline, but. You're starting to branch out a little bit, interview other folks, talk to other folks about different things and different experiences. What was the evolution of that uh, like? Who, who, how did those decisions start to get made? Like, what what are you trying to evolve into while not staying away from your base? Yeah, that's a great question, man. It's, it's a astute observation. So I will I will let you in into the very super secret number one priority. So we are firmly in the scout realm, right? When we talk about recruiting you know, recruiting is the actual process of bringing someone in, getting them to a program, you know, preparing them and then, you know, that recruiting and develop, but we're on the scout end. And what I want to do is I want there, you know, there's a very small pool of military age males and females that have the ability to get into any special operations force, right? Everybody knows what a SEAL is. Everybody knows what a Ranger is. Everybody knows what a Green Beret is. You know, a lot of people are aware of what the Marines do. A lot of people are aware of these other things. Not as many people are aware of pararescue and combat control, special reconnaissance, special warfare officer, all, all, all of those things, TACP, right? I 100% want to steal a larger portion of that able population for the Air Force, right? Now, of course, I want to give them the specifically to that niche. I want to provide them with the best information possible in order to help them be successful in the Air Force. But what I want to do is be like, hey, I know you said you wanted to be a SEAL. What if I told you you could do all of the schools that a SEAL get in the pipeline and then you're in the Air Force and you don't ever have the chance to go on a boat unless you want to for a cool mission? What if I told you that I can give you all of these other things and there's these jobs that exist where you can be one of the world trauma medic, you know, gold standard guys that can do technical rescue in any environment? Or what if you wanted to be a JTAC and you want to call precision fires? Or what if you want to be a special reconnaissance man and integrate electronic warfare into close and near, uh, you know, near and far reconnaissance to, to get after Air Force mission sets? Did you even know that existed? I want that part of the population. I really do. And the secondary goal is to help them prepare for it. So I, there, I've, I've taken the, the curtain back and now everybody knows our true motivation is to steal people from the Army and the Navy and the Marines. But um, that's how the career fields remain healthy. That's how we remain relevant in the future. So, you know, to that point, that's that's the thing. You know what I mean? Um, and then to your to your kind of like your second question, like we we ran into a lot of pushback initially as you always do you know and it's not haters and it's not you know people online or or whatever else sometimes it's your your own communities of just being like hey i'm unsure as to what this is but i'm going to say i don't like it and you know we've battled the the quiet professional thing we're finally over the over the ridge in the first you know 6 months to a year it was like hey 
Air, the Air Force has done a really, really good job of being quiet professionals. And that's why you don't hear a lot of scandals coming out of the Air Force, you know, comparatively. One, it's because we're way smaller. And then two is because guys don't talk about themselves, but that's a double-edged sword. You know, Nate Cox, who's a chief, he's the you know, currently the group chief down at AFSPEC War Training Wing, a mentor of mine, good friend, amazing PJ, very decorated. He was like, we're going to quiet professional ourselves right to death. Unless we start telling these stories, people don't know that the first person to lay hands on, on Jessica Lynch was a PJ. People don't, that famous story of, you know, Jessica Lynch looking at her rescuers and she was freaked out. And the person that was there was like, hi, I'm here to rescue you. And she goes, I'm an American. And the guy takes off his flag. There's a very famous picture of him giving that flag patch. You can Google it, giving her the flag. And there's a bright PJ patch on his shoulder. People don't know he did that. The very first people to touch Captain Phillips from I am the captain now from that scenario, it's an Air Force guy. The people that were on the, the raid of Osama bin Laden, guess what? There were Air Force dudes there. And let you know the people that closed down H. Kaya, the last people that were in Afghanistan, boots on the ground. That those were Air Force special tactics, pararescue and combat controllers. Like that's a, that's a fact. The last part, and we learn this in the PFE, and this kind of like transitions um, and kind of brings the point home. But the last person with boots on the ground in Vietnam was Chief Master Sergeant Wayne Fisk, who's a pararescueman. People don't know those stories. Like if we can't, we we found that as we were telling the story of how to become a pararescueman or how to become a combat controller, we found that people didn't know these stories, and we wanted to tell those stories. So as we kind of established ourselves more. People had a little bit more time to orient to it. You know, some of it's like, you know, when you're starting to talk about getting a Vietnam era vet, like we have a legend series. I think we've talked to almost every single team member that was on Operation Just, Claw, Just Cause, uh, Eagle Claw, like some of these things that are are legendary, not just in the special operations community, but in the military community, right? Vietnam veterans, people talking about the early days of Vietnam. That's wild, right? But those are stories that, we want to tell because it, it, it really does support exactly what we're doing. You know, you, you get those stories of the older dudes and hearing the amazing things that they did. It's just absolutely hum humbling. We, you know, chief Mike Lampy came on for three, I think he, we've got three hours of content with him now. Ridiculous, just ridiculous. The guys that stood up special operations that stood up JSOC would like came on our podcast and talk to us. Um, you know, that's th those are the, when you say you stand on the shoulders of giants, those are the giants. And that's actually been really, it's been great for us, but it's actually been good too, because it serves as an oral history. And that's how we sort of evolved moving into the future is that now these gentlemen have a place other than reunions and sitting around with beer and, you know, kind of telling the young guys, man, we get to tell the stories of some of the most amazing things that have happened in our specific community. And those are going to live on forever. We might not be a thing forever. You know, people can be like, one's ready isn't, isn't the greatest anymore. Or there's this other program that I want to listen to. We may fall out of favor. I got it. You know, that that's, you know, the natural, that's what capitalism is, right? Cream rises to the top and crap sinks. And if we become the people that no longer rise to the top, those stories are going to be immortalized forever. You're going to be, go you'll be able to go on a YouTube. And if you want to hear, you know, Mike, uh, Dave, uh, Mike LaMonica, or if you want to hear some of these other, you know, Rick Prado, who was a pararescueman and then was a plank owner over at the central intelligence agency. Like if you want to hear his story, which is ridiculous, it, it serves as an oral history. And we've actually gotten a lot of great feedback from the community. So it, it's like, we almost have two lanes, right? And you can actually see in the way that we release episodes, if the, if the folks are paying attention, this is another little behind the curtains on Wednesdays, we release with guests. We release stories that we think is great. We release 
all the way up to, you know, we've been, we just interviewed a female, um, obstacle course, professional athlete named Rachel Waters. It was an amazing conversation and the lessons that she had 100% applied to assessment and selection, like going around the country, racing obstacle races, being the top three females, the lessons there are ridiculous. You know, she may not ever be in aspect or, but she, the lessons that she can provide is. So those are what we drop on Wednesdays and then Saturdays, you know, Saturday morning when, when folks wake up, like that is directly in our lane. It's that niche content. It's how do you actually prepare for these things? And we bring the only time that we have guests that are on there are people that are like instructors at the dive school, instructors at free fall school that are instruct, you know, developers, recruiters, stuff like that. So we try to keep a good balance and we try to give something again, consistency and predictability. But I, I think it's, I think it's valuable in both senses because it rounds out really who we are and what we do. We're not just you know, like wagging our finger at 15 year olds and be like, yeah, you're not going to make it here. You better do these pushups. Well, yeah, I mean, it's also, it's also good reps, right? Like, I mean, at some point, you know, you might run out of content for telling people how to prepare for this because back to the, back to the, the, the dickhead DM response that you have, like, Hey man, there's six hours of content on the YouTube channel. All you got to do is search for it, you know, not, not to diminish what you're doing on, on that side of the lane, but like, there's less content there moving forward than there is in the other lane, right? So I don't know if, if you if you've thought about that at all, and, and if you're looking at like how how to how not just to integrate the the two kind of lanes of content, but to to like maybe you know kind of like weave, weave back and forth. Is that something that you've considered? Yeah, absolutely. So fun, fun little you know thing just from an analytical standpoint. Nobody goes like I have that answer so much on the DMs. You know why? Because nobody goes back and listens. <laughs> right, so we yeah, right. we actually go back and we revisit. It's funny too, but we go back to you know our first couple episodes, and not only is it clunky, and we're not nearly as good on the mics now, and not you know we're we're bad at like passing stuff over and stuff like that's the nitnoid stuff. But you know we go, we look back and you know just the stuff we had a you know a nutrition and a how to improve your run episode that we did in like 2018. We listen to it now. We're like, oh, that's outdated. No, there are better ways to do that. Okay. Now. So yeah. we'll go back like yeah. an update, stuff like that. But yeah, you're totally right. And, you know, we're trying to give people a holistic picture of this is what happened in the past. These are these, you know, ladies and gentlemen's experiences. These are how you, everything from leadership to interpersonal communication to, you know, stories about, you know, cause we have, we just recorded with Brian Slade, who is an, an amazing story. Um, about his time as an Apache pilot and then as a rescue pilot. And now with his other, his other stuff that he's doing, he even wrote a book called cleared hot, his lessons in Afghanistan. But, you know, we had, you know, uh, Kim killer chick Campbell on. So a 10 pilot, um, she's famous. I fanboyed over that girl in 2003 because I read the story and I was like, Holy crap. She's one of only, I think four pilots that have ever landed in a 10 and manual reversion. And she did it after getting blown up over Iraq, protecting people on the ground. Um, you know, I, I think that when you, when you're able to weave those things in and out, like, again, they're not same, same, they're different. Hers is harder and different in the same way that ours is harder and different, but you're totally right. Trying to, trying to weave a tapestry where again, you're providing value and that's what we want to do. We want to have valuable conversations that it might not, it might not get you through a day at Indoc, but it might help you prepare. It might give you a leadership lesson. It might, you, you might see something and go, Oh, wow, that was, that was a good one. That was, that's a good lesson for me to learn. Yeah, you talked about initially getting some some pushback on those types of episodes. How did how did you and the team handle that? Did you acknowledge it and push through? Did you acknowledge it, make adjustments? What was your what was your approach and how did the three of you navigate together? Well, it's it's the the 20% rule, right? 80% of the people in the world, well, 10% of the people in the world are always going to agree with you. Like there's you have stands, you have fans that love everything that you do no matter what. 
10% of people are going to hate every single thing that you do. They're never going to like anything. It's never going to be good enough. There's always going to be a funny meme that they make of it, whatever else. We're aiming at the 80%, right? So you have to be, it's, a, it's important to take feedback. It's also important to realize what feedback isn't valuable. So during that process, we would get early feedback. We're like, this is stupid. Or I mean, you get the feedback from the analytics. You know, we, we would record some episodes like with Jason Ellis. We'd be like, man, this one's going to bang. And then it did nothing. And we're like, okay, apparently the audience doesn't value that or they don't want to hear it. Right. So you have to, you have to take that feedback and adjust, but there is a time where you look at it and you go, you know, this is from the 10% of people that are never going to like me, no matter what I do, no matter, no matter what you, you have the same, you know, you look in the comment section, which I would always advise against because the comment section is a dumpster fire, but you look in the comment section and it's the same, you know, five, 10 personalities are like, Oh, this is stupid. Oh, if Aaron wasn't on this one, it would be great. Oh my God. These guys can't stop talking about X. Okay, man. Like, I don't know how to make you happy. Uh, we're trying, we're trying to put out the best possible product. Like also you're still listening while you're complaining about the thing that you you don't like. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like you're wasting 10, you're wasting 10 minutes of your day to tell me how bad we suck and how much you don't want to listen to it. But you're here all the time. Like, I don't know what to do with that. You know? So um, I'd say it's a mix of the two. You have to take you have to take feedback because we're here for the listener. We are here to provide valuable content. That's what we do, right? So I'd be ridiculous and just I'd be so obtuse to say that, oh well, yeah, I mean they gave feedback, but like uh, I don't I don't think so. No, you gotta listen to that feedback. We got feed like somebody hit me up on my mic one time and they were like, dude, your gain is it's your gain's too high. You have too much of a loud voice, you gotta fix that. And I was like, man, if it, if my voice is grating and people don't want to listen to it, then I got to take that feedback and figure it out. Like you have to be able to put that ego aside. You have to be able to take the feedback and then you have to be able to change. You just, you have to understand where the feedback is coming from. Like, is this valid? Is this a real thing? Yeah, man, it is a real thing. You kind of sucked on this one. We got to figure out a way to be better. Okay, great. Make the change, give the people what they want because that's how you exist and go from there. Yeah. There's a principle that I learned in film school writing screenplays, which is if you give, you know, a screenplay to somebody to give you notes and they read it and they pinpoint a section or sections that they don't like, and then they give you a fix for it, you should listen to the fact that they don't like that section or that section isn't working, but you shouldn't necessarily use their fix. You should go back and you should discern what are they saying? Why are they saying it? What's valid from, from their feedback? What's valid from what they're pinpointing? What's valid from their fix? And then how do I take that as the person who wrote this screenplay, in this case for you, the person who's podcasting, and how do I tweak? How do I adjust? And it's not just like, I think something that 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 um, amateurs do or people that are early in, in the game do and that, that's hard not to do because everybody does it is like, you take all the feedback and you're like, oh my gosh, this is 100% correct. I suck. This is terrible. I need to change course. I need to do everything sure. that this person is saying. And then you eventually calibrate that over time and you learn that like, okay, cool. They're noticing some stuff that I can improve upon. What's what's their solution? All right. How do I split the difference between their solution and my, my solution? And that's where the real work happens is kind of right there in that gray area. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld was really famous for this quote. People often misconstrue it, but Jerry Seinfeld, he didn't say that the crowds were stupid. That's what everybody always gets out of it. But he's like, the crowd is like children. Like they're going to give you feedback, but they don't know what they want to hear. Like I'm the professional that's supposed to be able to craft, to take that feedback, what they're getting. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's terrible. He's like, but the, the crowd is our children. They don't know what they want to hear. It's my job to make something funny for them. It's my job to produce it. And that was a big lesson for us too. 
you know, because initially what you want to do when you get that feedback, that's obviously like, you know, negative and whatever else you want to keep that same energy and you want to go right back at them. Cause I don't know how many times you know, like, I failed on this over and over and over again, because we are so transparent and because we are so accessible, people that hop up in the DMS with dumb shit, I'm the first one to go, okay, you're stupid. You would never say this to me to my face. You would never say this to me in a room with me. This would not be, you would be completely different. So keep that same energy because we like to think that we keep the same energy all the time. Like we don't put on a, a role or a face or a, a something when we get on there. I'm here on my real name. This is how I interact with people, good, bad, or indifferent. These are the opinions that I do share and have and, and possess. And, you know, we talk very openly about our morals and values and culture and ethics and all these other things. So it's, it's hard to make sure that you are still towing that line. Like you, you are still interacting with somebody that you do owe them something. Right. So it, it, it was really tough for us in the beginning to go, okay, you're basically like hopping up in my DMs be like, you guys are shit. You guys aren't even right. You guys are wrong. And you got this wrong. You guys even don't even know what you're talking about. And you're like, I'm sorry. Do I know you? Did I ask you for your opinion? Just unfollow. But there are other people that are watching that. There are other people. Yep. To, to think that those people aren't taking screenshots of those DMs in order to flame you with them later, that is your yep. first mistake in this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can, can confirm, I've observed you get better at the craft, but I have not observed you change. I've known you for seven, 15 years, whatever it is now, fifteen, mm -hmm. a decade and a half. You're mm -hmm. the same person that you were. You've gotten better at the craft, but yeah, that's it. That. Like you're, you're the same, you, you communicate the same way. I think and it's it's kind of like the Seinfeld quote is super helpful because it's it it illustrates a point that you were making earlier, which you know you said a lesson that you learned is that that ego is the enemy, right? And you know I've I've read Ryan's book, uh, all of his books, and 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 love that approach. I think there's one thing that's slightly off about it though, which is that when and it, and it gets to what you were saying, people get wrong about about Seinfeld's quote when he says that that he's the professional. That doesn't mean I'm the professional and I know better. That means right. I'm the professional. Therefore, this is my craft. Therefore, I need to observe. I need to work. I need to figure out how to get better and read what it is that they're doing. And that's what somebody with a strong ego does. Somebody with a big ego says, I'm the professional. These people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So the difference between a big ego and a strong ego and learning how to actually use that, that level of confidence, that type of confidence that you have within the lane that you're operating at a high level is a really, really important kind of nuanced lesson to learn. And it's one that you just have to learn over and over and over and over again, or your ego goes from being strong to back to being big. Yeah, agree. And that's, that's one of my catchphrases that I've used throughout my military career. And, and even outside the military, like if I'm in any sort of leadership position, like there is an, there is an inverse relationship between subordinate and supervisor and it's in ownership and it's in what you owe, right? Like me as a supervisor, I owe you way more than you owe me. You owe me the bare minimum, you know, to make it in the military. You, you got to be on time with the right uniform, with the right gear, with a motivated attitude, and you need to be ready to train or go to work or do whatever it is. That's like, that's what you owe me. I owe you so much more than that because I own the entire culture. I own those things. Like I own your growth, good, bad, or indifferent. Every single person that's ever worked for me is a product of my leadership. And there are some bad ones out there. Now I'm not saying like they've made their own personal decisions and they've made their own personal choices in life. Right? Like it's, it's not like, you know, the sins of our father. Like if you have a child that goes to jail, you're not a terrible person. They've made their own own choices too, but you owe them way more than they ever owe, owe, owe you. Uh, and I've always, you know, kind of said that, but it's in the same vein, right? Like when I say that I'm a professional or I'm the leader, 
having a strong ego means, okay, we're, we're going to do these things because I'm confident in my leadership. And, you know, through my experiences, I've developed a leadership style and I believe it to be effective and follow me and we're going to make this happen. As opposed to the big ego, um, which you, you know, succinctly described as, okay, well, I'm always right and you're stupid and here we go. You, you're going to follow me because I say so. Like, that's not effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I, I want to start to... to wrap things up, be respectful of, of your time here. Uh, a few things I want to cover. Um, I want to hear what's, what's next, what's on the horizon, what you're working on, um, especially as, as you're looking at getting ready to retire. Uh, and, and I want to ask you that kind of last question I've been asking everybody on the podcast uh, about what's on your heart and mind for a community. But first, you're the first of the trifecta. You're the first of the Trinity uh, to, to make it on onto the podcast. So, um, Hit me, hit me with, with what, what, what should I be on the lookout for with, with Trent and Peaches? What should I be looking to ask them about? And, and just, just describe your relationship with them a little bit and just kind of talk about, talk about, um, you know, you know, what it's been like to work with them for two sixteen plus episodes now. Man, they're, they're just my best friends. Like I've known Peaches since I was, you know, a, a young staff sergeant, brand new, had zero idea, terrible PJ, what I was doing in England. Peaches was a team sergeant on the other team, you know, there I've known him for them and, you know, Trent and I, it was funny, Trent and I recorded together for almost two years before we ever met in person because of COVID and because of some other stuff that happened. But man, uh, you, you know, this is a passion project. And I, I mean that in the truest sense of the word, because man, I'm passionate about being on that team. I am passionate about the three of us and what we're doing and, you know, everything, the good, the bad, the indifferent, but really they're lifelong friends. We could turn this off, you know, tomorrow, we could not produce another episode and we're still going to talk on the group chat every single day. We're still going to bounce ideas off of one another personally and professionally. They've made me better. You know, it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, man. You know, Trent and Peaches have called me and been like, Aaron, what the literal F are you doing? You've got to stop this. You have to be better here. And, you know, I've done the same for them. Um, and, I, and I think that it plays perfectly into who we are as people. It's, you know, it's part of that transparency, the accessibility, part of that open and honest communication that we'd like to think we have through this medium. So I can't say enough about them. Like they really are, you know, my best friends and, you know, that's what this community provides, you know, like people like you, like the bonds that we've forged through this adversity and through this time are stronger than anything else in the world. Um, and, and it's one of those things that it's humbling. Like, I can't believe they're my friends. You know, I'm constantly reminded of one of my favorite movies, Tombstone, where, you know, they asked Doc Holliday, Doc, why do you, why do you do it for him? And Doc Holliday says, well, Wyatt Earp's my friend. And Turkey Johnson goes, well, hell man, I got a lot of friends. And Doc goes, well, I don't. You know, I, I, that resonates with me. I don't have a whole lot of friends. The ones that I do have, like the fact that they stick with me, that's, that's an important thing to me. And they're fiercely loyal as opposed to where, you know, to address like where we're going, we got a lot of stuff on the horizon, right? So, um, we're starting to branch out and, and while one's ready is always going to be the flagship. I want everybody to kind of keep their, keep their eyes out for a little something called safe house media. We're going to have different podcasts, different flavors, different digital content creators that we're kind of bringing under the same umbrella. We're never going to be as big as like, you know, Tetherball Academy, for those that don't know, is kind of who runs, you know, a lot of different things like Vet TV, Black Rifle, a lot of the things, a lot of those bigger projects that are going on. They're titans in the space. We think that we have a little space too. So Safe House Media, keep your eyes peeled for a bunch of different projects that are in development right now and that are going to be coming out here pretty soon. Um, One's Ready is going to go nowhere. You know, we're going to, you know, hopefully the, the dream here is to find another motivated combat controller, another motivated SR guy, another motivated PJ that wants to come on and I'm happy to hand over the reins of, of the podcast. If they're more relevant, if they have a better voice than I do, if they're more, you know, more smart or they help people prepare, that's the, you know, the personalities aren't important. 
the project is important. So that stuff's going to go from there. We're also integrating with a whole bunch of other partners. We changed the way just recently, as a matter of fact, how we house and get people together. Over at onesready.com, we want to be the one-stop shop. If you want to be a pararescueman, a combat controller, special warfare officer, TACP, special reconnaissance, if you want to be a first responder, if you want to train for something that you think is impossible, you're going to be able to come to our site. You're going to be able to find the gear to do it. You're going to be able to find the training programs to do it. You're going to be able to find specific podcasts. Like let's say if you're a female that wants to be a first responder, a special operator, we're going to have a project for you run by females, some of the smartest females and some of the most badass women in these sports, in combat sports and military athletics. And they're going to be able to help you train specifically for your body type, your cycle, all of these things to be successful because that's where we're going. Um, really what we want to do is we want to be a full spectrum, one-stop shop for everything that you could possibly need. And we want to bring, you know, folks like you partners, we want to bring everybody under that umbrella and give them that safe house, give them that one location where we can get after some of these really hard problems. Cause the, like I said, the attrition rates haven't changed. Assessment selection hasn't gotten any easier. The things that we're asking these men and women to do in Air Force Special Warfare and Air Force Special Tactics, they're no easier today than they were 10 years ago than they were 20 years ago. And we have to find a way to fix that problem or we're going to become irrelevant and there's going to be big changes that are coming. And we're here to we're here to stem that tide and, and turn the tide in the other direction. So got a lot of stuff on the on the burner, a lot of things that we're really, really excited about, a lot of things that Hey, a lot of stuff might fail. Looking back on this podcast in a year, you'd be like, hey, what happened to that? And I'd be like, I don't know, man, just didn't didn't work out. But, you know, with with Jared and with Trent, you know, those those two best friends of mine, like I, I think the sky's the limit as long as I don't hold them down too much. I mean, tr truly, truly, as you've described it, and I, I think I found the title for this episode of, you know, a, a, a righteous mission. One one more question I want to get in here before before wrapping up uh, with with the final question. But. What does it feel like? Uh, what does it feel like to be to be one of the old guys? Like, what, no, all jokes aside, like, what does it feel like to be senior enlisted? What does it feel like to look back on a career, having gone through indoc a couple of times, having having been set back, having having retrained, having worked in another career, so having having had the career that you had? Um, what, what is it? Because it's weird for me, right? I'm thirty. I just turned thirty five years old, and and a lot of my weapons buddies, you know, uh, bomb loaders, they're all they're all getting ready to retire as master sergeants, senior master sergeants and some chiefs. And I'm like, man, dude, when I was, when I was 18, 19, senior master sergeants were old as fuck. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's me. <laughs> I'm 35. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm their age. That's crazy. Right. So what, what does it feel like for you to be, to be looking at retirement and what, what does it feel like? Well, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain, my friend. You know, there was a distinct time when I think it was like my first flight chief job where I was like, okay, well, I'm not an us anymore. I'm a them. You know, and the early the, the earlier that you can kind of like accept that, understand where, you know, I'm never going to understand what Gen Z is doing. Like we, we have a running joke about, you know, trying to use Gen Z slang uh, to try to commit. And it just it sounds inauthentic. It sounds silly. It sounds like a stupid thing, but you can easily get jaded and salty and you can easily turn that into a negative. I think at this point in my career, looking back, there are certainly parts of this, you know, this Air Force, these career fields, these things, there are parts that I just don't even recognize anymore. You know, I look at it and this is good, bad or indifferent. It's not necessary. There's no drama that I'm going to bring up and I'm, I'm not going to hit like political stuff or have, you know, stuff that's going on in the culture. But there are things that I look at. I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's completely different than when I got in. That is, it is unrecognizable, the world that I got into. Like a man never steps in the same river twice, right? Because the river is different and so is the man. 
I think that if you can stay away from the negative aspect and you can realize that we're still going in a righteous mission, we're still going in a righteous direction, we're still doing things that are important, not only to the country, but to the world. I think if you can find that common ground, you, you stay away from feeling, you can feel old and I do feel old. They're, these monsters, these guys and girls, you know, soon, and they're getting out of those, these pipelines, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they're harder to kill. They use technology better than I ever could. They're better shooters. They're better medics. They're better at literally every single thing that we value in these things. I'm different at some things. Maybe the way that I communicate or the way that I grew up is different than these folks, but that doesn't mean it's worse. It just means it's different. And if you can stay away from comparison, comparison is the thief of joy. I don't compare myself to this younger generation because if I would, I would cry myself to sleep every night. If I compared how much I'm squatting next to the 25 year old, six foot tall, 210 pound monster with 5% body fat, because he just had better training programs. He's had a strength and conditioning staff, his entire pipeline and a nutritionist, his entire pipeline. And from the very second that he got in, he's had somebody to, to make his workouts for him and tell him how to sleep and monitor his biometrics via wearables and all this other stuff. It's just different. And for if for the old guys out there, it's important to realize that that's a righteous endeavor. They should have things that you never had. They should do things that you were never afforded to do. They should have better technology and better gear and better deployments. And all these things should be better. That's the point. We're moving the ball forward. Of course, there's a piece of me that would like to think that I can still keep up with the younger dudes. There's, of course, there's the ego that pops up of like, well, well, I can still do the job. That's downfall number one, my friend. Sometimes the best part about being a leader or the, or the most important thing you can do as a leader is get out of the way. Provide them the top cover that they need and get out of the way because these young multi-capable airmen, these young folks that are special operators that are new, that are cutting their teeth, they may not have a deployment yet, but what they do have is a completely different optic and a completely different background on how to problem solve and how to get after the future fight because that's not my job anymore. It's my job to protect them. And in the words of every rapper everywhere, let them cook. You got to let these young kids cook, man. Let them go. Provide them left and right limits. Protect them. But tell them if this is in your lane, run hard. Go, go come up with solutions I could have never dreamed of. I think if you can walk that line, being an old guy ain't so bad. You know, I, I get to really like, I, I kind of liken it to being a grandpa. And for me, you know, at 43 and 22 years in, I really might as well be a grandpa to some of these people. Um, you know, but, you know, grandparents never worry about the little stuff. They're just happy to spend time with the grandkids and see, you know, they're, they're proud of them at everything that they do. And that's a really cool space to be in, to be quite honest with you. Looking back on whatever good, bad, or indifferent career I had, it's really cool to look and see that, number one, we're healthy and we're going to keep going. And number two, those things that we care about that others may live and, you know, these important things inside of Air Force Special Tactics first there that others may live to return with honor. All of these things that seem like bumper stickers, man, that's part of our culture, our heritage, and it's part of our values. And th that's going to live on. And the younger generation shows that every day. So when you kind of get in that space, it doesn't feel so bad being old. Damn, man. I might go get a second workout in after that. Um <laughs> So to, to wrap things up, the last question I've been asking, I've been asking folks um, is, is what's, what's on your heart and you've spilled your heart and, and, and your mind quite a bit this whole episode, uh, which I, I deeply appreciate. Um, but what, what, is there anything specific that's on your heart or on your mind for our community right now? And our community could be, could be your community within, within uh, 
aspect war, it could be our community, the military, veteran community at large, uh, or you know, obviously um, the the American community. Is if there's anything specifically on your heart or in your mind that, that you want to say, uh, whether it's advice or or just a thought, um, that's how that's how we're ending the podcast these days. Got it. Yeah. So, man, to, to the veterans out there, to everybody that's transitioning, to everybody that's out, kind of underneath that year, we obviously have. We, we have a pandemic of suicide. We, we have a problem and that, that problem stems from people that have had a tribe. You know, they've got a ready-made group of best friends that they're issued at every single unit and every single school. You have a ready-made people that you absolutely agree with, even the people that you disagree. And this is just a wacky thing. I, I had a guy that I 100% disagreed with. I had a very smart and wise team leader. It was like, okay, so if there's a box and you're on this corner and he's on this corner, you guys are like at the ends of the box, right? And I'm like, yeah, he goes, okay, you idiot. The entire world is outside of that box. You were so close to that guy. You already share so many things with him just, just by the fact that he's in the military and he's in the career field. You guys are so close you know, you having friction with this guy is just stupid. And and he was right, right? You miss that. You know, I feel that impending loss. You know, you're the military, while it is extremely good for building those friendships, the second that you're gone, you know, unfortunately, your memory is only going to be a memory of you as long as your voice echoes in the hallway of your last unit. And as soon as that echo is done, you might have some projects that live on here and there. You might have some friends that stick around, but you know, you're going to feel a big sense of loss and I can feel it coming. I have friends that have, you know, since retired and, you know, it's been a struggle for us to stay connected and, and to build a tribe. And that's why we're aligning with, with people like reorg charity with veteran Bushido, uh, brotherhood, um, that focus on fitness and finding tribes for veterans and finding those things, whether it be through retreats or backcountry hunts or Brazilian jujitsu or group fitness or anything it's important to maintain that sense of community. You know, even though the military is going to move on and it's a big machine that, you know, sometimes will chew you up and spit you out and make you feel like you've, you've been abandoned by them. The, the connections that you make, those bonds that you made, those don't go anywhere. And it's important to continue to foster those and to continue to, to feed those relationships with positive energy because those, those relationships, even after you retire and the military isn't there for you, those relationships are going to be there. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's really important for us to engage on and for us to, to really focus on going forward is building that community of folks and finding every single veteran, a tribe that they belong to, and then being active members of that tribe, like veteran Bushido brotherhood. If you haven't, if you haven't checked them out yet, Jarek Fry is doing amazing work over there. Um, you know, and I stole his tagline right there, but man, he's, he's got a righteous mission and, and he, he's doing some stuff and I'm, I'm going to hook y'all up cause you need to talk to Jarek. Yeah, please do. Absolutely. Yeah. And very well said. And, Obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here, you're here, D DM us, uh, have a conversation, um, one's ready, and, and, and you and the rest of the team support um, a bunch of different causes and organizations, and, and so does Veteran Made, and, and, um, and, and so they're, they're, they're easy to find. You just got to ask, um, and, and you just got to get on there and, and, and find them. So um, very, very well said. Listen, brother, I love you, man. I appreciate your time. Uh, this was incredible. I'm, I'm stoked to... Uh, to, to put this episode out and, um, and to, uh, to share this as wide as I can. Can't wait, man. I just, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for providing me the space. Thanks for the, the questions you're asking. I can't wait to see you hit episode 100, 1000 beyond, um, your episode with us drops this Wednesday. So this might air a little bit after that, but you guys will, you guys will know what we're talking about with Kara. It's another great hour of content. So check it out. If you got any questions about air force special warfare, head us up at onesready.com. Go over to the Instagram page. We'll get right back to you. That's what we do. All right, brother. We'll see you. Yeah, late.